my legacy apparently is I did the stupid sexy Flanders section. <laughs> People are getting tattoos of stupid sexy Flanders. There's a maquette of him out there now somewhere. Like yeah, so and it's funny, but like uh, you know, it's an easy joke. He's he's really buff, and he's wearing it. It's a bit you know, it's a it's it's a slight. It's making fun of Homer's Homer being kind of homophobic, but not really. But it's yeah. like, it, it, you know, it's male machismo. I don't want to look at another male. So, but I was really happy to be on that show because I happened to be the only one on that show who, uh, who skied. And the whole half, first half of the show took place at a ski resort. And no one knew how to ski. I was the only one. So I asked if I can get the skiing scenes because I'll make them look real. Um, so that's why I got that section. Because so, because when Homer has to go from skiing accidentally skiing down the hill backwards to turning around and all that stuff like that, you know, and then the other joke was him getting hit in the crotch with moguls, um, which is a silly joke, but you can't be a good getting hit in the crotch joke. Um, so it's just interesting that um, you know, and if you go, if you look at my website and stuff like that, I actually have a blog post of the whole sex, stupid sexy Flanders. Hey, folks, it's your host Julian. This week, I sit down with Josh Tavik, animator and director on The Simpsons, as well as Randon Cunningham, 9th Grade Ninja. We chat all things Simpsons, including his first day at Film Roman and climbing up that Simpsons ladder. We also discuss some of his favorite characters, and we talk about everyone's favorite Ned Flanders moment, Stupid Sexy Flanders. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this show, reach out to us on social media and tell us what you think. You can find us across all social media platforms at in my head pod if you want to go a little plus ultra for us leave us a five-star rating and a review and tell us what you think enjoy the show ladies and gentlemen welcome to what's in my head podcast i'm your host julian and today i'm joined by josh tabak josh how are you sir i'm doing pretty good thanks man i really appreciate this one man it took a little while to uh, set it up it only took a couple hurricanes couple couple people <laughs> passing sadly to to make sure we got this one off the way but nonetheless, man, we're here. Uh, and I found out about you, you know, a couple times I've done some deep dives into The Simpsons lore, a show that I've had a lot of fun with revisiting. You know, this show is as old as I am, right? Uh, came out the same oh, year. I, yeah, 1989, man. Uh, and what's fun is I've actually been able to go back and rewatch this show with my oldest son and getting to see his reaction to how I wasn't allowed to watch the show when I was younger. My mom didn't want a son like Bart Simpson, and my mom didn't want somebody like Angelica Pickles from Rugrats. So getting to like have to sneak away and watch this and then watch him like openly watch this shit in the wild, it's kind of crazy, right? Because they feel like- How old is he? He's, he'll be 13 tomorrow. So, oh, okay, and boy, oh boy, does time fly, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but getting to see him experience The Simpsons, man, has been fun. So I got to imagine uh, with a couple of the folks that I've had on, most of them were fans of the show before they got onto the show. Were you a fan of The Simpsons before you got on The Simpsons? Oh, yeah. I was in yeah. college. Well, I was in high school. I was a senior in high school in 1989. Um, but um, it, it was on, you know, I, it 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 took a little bit for it to be on TV though. Um, I don't think I don't know if that Christmas episode was you know the pilot and then it just ran like a normal season. I think there was a little gap in between that. Um, but it was on when we were in college. I don't remember watching it a ton, but by it, I tell you, man, I was on The Simpsons for fifteen years, mm-hmm. and between watching it beforehand and you know knowing it all by heart and then working on it, and still being a fan. 
And then there was this weird surreal thing that would happen. Me and, me and my friend, Tim Bailey, Tim Bailey and I uh, shared a cubicle who you interviewed. Yeah. Um, uh, we shared a cubicle for four years and we were kind of like the Bickersons. Like people would ask us to come up to us later. Um, uh, you know, are you, are you and Josh fighting? Did you get, what, did something happen? And he's like, what, what are you talking about? No. And he's like, Josh, they think we're fighting. I'm like, what? No. Like we, we just, he's from Boston. I'm from New Jersey. So we're just always kind of like biting at each other when we talk. But anyway, um, what was my, what was, where was I going with this? Oh, so, you know, there are rewrites and great lines get cut. But while we're doing the show, when we're making it, we have it on tape. Like we hear the lines and we start to think they're really funny and we memorize the lines. So we can, I can't even, I couldn't even remember. I quote a lot of lines that weren't even on the air. Mm-hmm. That were just, you know, I'll tell you one later. It's a really great one. Um, but um, so, but I was living in my fandom, creating my fandom. Um, and then, like, you know, you'd hear people in restaurants or on the, on the bus. When am I taking the bus? Uh, out in public or whatever, talking about The Simpsons. And I'm sitting there like, they don't even know who I am. They don't know. And only once, I think, that I hear someone talking, directly talking about a scene I did. Yeah um but well, you know it was really cool it, yeah, you know was it, it was surreal? It, it, yeah uh it, the surreal part about it, i mean it wasn't surreal in the fact like the world knows about what i do because you know it's as far as um identifiable cartoon characters there's mickey mouse and homer and bart simpson i mean if yeah. you really think about it like worldwide mm-hmm. um so it doesn't surprise me when people talk about these, you know, things like that. Um, but um, the surreal part was that he, I'm sitting right here. I'm their celebrity, but I'm not like, they don't even know that. Like, and, and then, you know, I think about people like Nick Ranieri who did Sebastian the crab and the little mermaid. He was the supervisor on that. And it's, that's another character that the world knows and Lumiere, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, you know, be our guest like Nick Ranieri. If I'm not, mis- I'm not sure if James Baxter or Nick Ranieri did the actual big uh, uh, part of that song where it was like, be our, you know, from like, uh, yeah. of course, by course, like whatever. Um, but all these animators, um, from the Disney Renaissance have influenced the animation world to the point where, you know, Pixar was created and, and say what you want about CG, but it has influenced and, um, you know, the energy from that went into the, the work that has been done with that. I'm sorry, I'm distracted. My cat's finally climbing on the thing I put there for her three days ago. Um, She's probably all distracted because I'm talking, um, you know, and 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 the Pixar movies and then the Disney movies themselves, like they did have influence. And I don't mean just I don't even just mean um, Disney because DreamWorks put out a good number of stuff. You know, there's some other things going that were going on at that time, too. Um, influenced regular cinema like the world now, like, has you know, so much so that the movie musical. Uh, you know, has that resurgence and the, the cartoon, the animated musical has now died down. Like it went, it peaked so high that it now came down the other side of the pendulum swung. Um, and nobody except people like us 
even know who the heck these people are. Yeah. But they don't realize that someone like Glenn Keane, who animated The Beast, and um, uh, he didn't work on Lion King, um, you know, Tarzan, Aladdin, you know, Eric oh, Goldberg, who did The Genie. Yeah. Like, The Genie, for crying out, like, the world knows these characters. And they're just, you know, they go to work. Well, nowadays they work from home. But, you know, they sit at their desk, they do the job, then they watch TV, and they have their sandwiches. And then, you know, they talk to their family. And then they do it again tomorrow. And then they'll walk right by. Someone may have had a life-changing experience because of, you know, the Little Mermaid or whatever. And they may walk by one of those animators you know, Glenn King, Ariel. I can't believe I'm, I was blanking when I was talking, but I was trying to remember my point. Yeah, I'm getting to that age where it's just like, <laughs> oh, my mouth just keeps going, but my brain is like concentrating about something else. Um, and uh, they don't realize they just walked by the person who changed their life. Mm-hmm. Um, be- unless they watch the extras on the DVDs and stuff like that. They're starting to have extras again on streaming, which I'm glad about, but. I am too, because um, that was a big yeah. point by buying DVDs, man, is getting to see the director's cut, getting to see... Right, right, cut. right. Well, one thing, too, like, when DVDs started to come out, there was this big thing about, like, DVDs aren't... You're not going to be able to step frame on DVDs, so I went nuts on eBay buying all these animated movies on Laserdisc, and I bought a Laserdisc player. You know how many times I watched those movies? Probably zero. <laughs> I think I watched one or two of them. Yeah. But I had them. Because I used to, because I mean, I wore in college, I wore that Little Mermaid videotape out backwards and forwards, like, yeah. you know, trying to study how did they do that? You know, how when his jaw drops, how does that drop? And, you know, like, what's the slow in and slow out, and, like the, the drag and all that stuff. I learned so much, you know, by, by, by step framing it. So the idea that we would no longer be able to study animation in such a way made me really upset and angry back then. Um. But I got over it. And then now you can step frame. And now you can get it. If you have a quick time movie, you can just do it that way. I mean, it's just, you know. What was the first DVD you bought? You remember your first DVD? Holy cow. No, I don't. You know, I, I whenever I hear someone say about the CDs, the first CD I bought, first CD I had was, I think, Meet the Beatles or With the Beatles. My, my cousin's husband got it for me. And I didn't know how to take it out because I'd never seen it before. You know, you know, you put your finger down, you push down, you pull it out. Like yeah. I didn't want to break any. I didn't even know that. I didn't. I tried to pull it off the sides and it wasn't coming, and I thought I was going to snap it. And I didn't listen to it that night because because I didn't know how to take it out of the thing. But the first CD I bought was Billy Joel's uh, Russian concert album. Yeah. Uh, but DVD. I don't know. First one I ever I bought was Joe Dirt. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, David Spade's Joe Dirt, and it was funny because it was a uh, Joe squared, so it was Joe Dirt and Joe's apartment. I don't know if you remember that one, but it was with the little dancing and talking cockroaches. I think oh, it was New yeah. York and Jersey. Yeah, so those yep, were the first yep. two DVDs I bought. And uh, since we're talking about CDs, the first uh, first CD I ever bought uh, was Will Smith's Big Willie style. That was the first CD I'd ever owned. I, 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 there's just something about that time where I can think, man, it's so magical. Um, but uh, getting it back, you know, and I asked Tim and I asked uh, Brad. I don't, did you get a chance to work with Brad? Brad Bird? No, Brad Abelson. Oh, Brad Abelson, yes. Yeah, so, you know, I had him on uh, right before Tim. 
And, uh, you know, I had Mark on Mark Kirkland. I asked him all the same question I'm about to ask you, uh, you know, none of them brought up the first time they got to at least hear somebody talking about something they worked on out in the wild, the zeitgeist, you know, uh, it was usually, what was it like to see your name in the first, you know, the first time you got, you see your name in your trailers or credits, excuse me. Um, but before we get to that, that topic, I want to circle back when they're talking about the scene that you worked on, did that register to you at that time? Obviously you, you're working on that show. It's the zeitgeist Simpsons is, the biggest thing next to Mickey Mouse when it comes to cartoon and facial recognition. Did that register that like that's somebody out in the wild that's watching my show, watching the show I work on, the characters I worked on the scene, did it register then or did it take a little while for it to kick in? You mean the novelty of it? No, just the fact that somebody out there is absorbing your work and then it's somebody that's not oh, in a controlled well, spot, you know? Yeah, no, I mean... At that instance that you're talking about, I have been working for the show for a while. So mm -hmm. being my work or the, and the work of my colleagues being recognized out in the wild wasn't a new thing. I mean, yeah. shirts, posters, and this, that, and the other. But um, trying to think back, you know, I was just sort of, I was young and I was new to the industry and I had friends working at Disney and I had friend work, friends working at DreamWorks. I had friends working at Warner Brothers and their movies and their projects were coming out. And it was just like, you know, I was in, and I was in LA. I came from New Jersey by way of Philadelphia when I went to college. And just the surrealness of the wild knowing, like being connected to all that. Yeah. You know, and then having, and then sometimes running into celebrities at work if they came by or for whatever reason that maybe not just a celebrity sighting out in the wild or something like that. Um, Man, you're asking me to go back, and I told you I'm having a midlife crisis. I can't remember this shit anymore. <laughs> well, here, let's, um, let's take it one step further. Let's take it a little bit easier question, then we'll ease into that question. So hold on to that one for just a second. So, well, uh, so what I'm let me just um, what I'm trying to remember is the feeling of that newness of celebrity to a certain extent. Yeah. But what were you going to just ask me? Oh no, I was going to say if uh, if that one was a little bit you wanted to ease into that one a little bit more, man. What was your first day like? So you remembered that first <laughs> feeling being like that, but what was your first day? I always like first day questions because um, it's everybody different. Yeah. Well, there's my first day at Film Roman, and then there's my first day at The Simpsons. My first Let's day on both. The Simpsons. What's that? Let's do both. Are they both pretty good stories? I mean, I, I like hearing. Um, my, I like hearing well, my first day, day on this. Yeah, my first day on The Simpsons, um, I probably uh, sat at my desk and got, got settled, and they gave me some assignment, and I did some drawing. Yeah. And that was about it. <laughs> and I actually started, I think, as a prop designer for uh, a few weeks, if not just a couple weeks, and then they were like, oh, yeah, we can give this guy regular stuff. Yeah. And then uh, the first episode I worked on was the PTA disbanded. Mm-hmm. And the first famous scene I did was actually from this show where it's Jasper with the paddle. You do something wrong, that's a paddling. You do something else, that's a paddling. Oh, you better believe that's a paddling. That's pretty good. That was man. one of my. Oh man, you don't even know. And when they when the actors striked a few times, we all were like practicing yeah. our impersonations and stuff. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I, we can we can do those voices like. It's been it's been let's see nine nine it's been thirteen years since I've worked on the show and like it's all of it's just burned into my 
talking to my brain, like, you know. Who's your best impersonation um, as far as characters go then? Who can you pull off the best? Probably Mo. Yeah. Um, yeah, but what's some stuff that he would say? It's just like, yeah, all right, damn midge. <laughs> yeah. It's home of damn midge or a car hold, a car, uh, a garage, a garage. <laughs> what do you call it? A car hold. Or I, we, we all do a pretty good, we all do a pretty good homer. All you have to really do is kind of, I don't know, do what I'm doing right now, I think, boy. And then I do surprisingly good Marge, someone told me. Uh, well, if loving my kids is lame, then I guess I'm just a big lame. Dude, those are really good, man. I really like when people can knock out impersonations. Yeah, because we, you know, we had the voices. I mean, we have the voices now. It's a little quick timer in the, in the, in the file. But, like, it would be like, you know, uh, if loving my kids is lame. If loving my kids is lame. You know, we'd be hearing, you know, and then we'd be like, can you put your headphones on? Hey, guys, it's your resident cartoon junkie, Brandon Jones, here asking you to have a listen to my Animation Destination podcast. It's an animation celebration podcast, and it's full of all sorts of stuff about anime and cartoons and voice acting and all that sort of thing, and just a really all-around celebration of anything animated. So come on by and check it out. We've got fan episodes of your favorite animes to your most obscure cartoons on Netflix that no one's ever heard of. And just really love talking about it. You can subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes and anywhere else you can get your podcasts from. So stop on by, subscribe, and stay tuned for the Animation Destination Podcast. Because we all had tape recorder. I just came across my tape recorder from uh, uh, from from those days the other day. I was, I was like, should I keep this? I'm like, yes, keep this. This is this is a novelty. But I still have some of those cassette tapes too. They're probably in a box with Mark Simpson stuff. I mean, that'd be pretty good to listen to, but yeah. But my so my first day, this is a long story. So I'll, I will I'll tell it short in a short version, and you can ask me to elaborate. I drove cross. So I drove out here cross country mm-hmm. the day after the O.J. Simpson chase. Jesus Christ! <laughs> um, me and my mom were watching it in the kitchen, and and we didn't, and because it's in California. I didn't realize the time difference and it was dark. It started to get dark out. And in New Jersey, you don't see car chases on television unless they're a television show. So we were waiting for something to happen. We didn't realize nothing ever happened. Yeah. Um, so uh, at some point I'm like, oh my God, it's dark. Out. I gotta go to bed. I'm going to California tomorrow. So um, I, I went to, uh, I drove out there with three friends, three of my buddies in my Ford Taurus. Um, they just came out for the cross country drive and then they flew home, made it all the way across the country without, without, you know, any sort of fender bender or anything like that. Um, and then my buddy drove me to work so they could have the car. Oh, I I had like a few days before I probably had about a week before I actually started. Um, and, um, the roads are different out here from where we grew up and stuff like that. You know, so like we were, so we were. Going, he was driving me to work. I was wearing reasonably nice clothes. Nowadays, that would I would almost feel like I'd be wearing a suit. I might have been wearing a sports coat with like a t-shirt underneath, which is which was the style at the time. Um, but um, so he goes to make a left-hand turn, and uh, he was in the middle lane, and someone in the left-hand lane, you know, almost t-boned us, took off my front bumper into the street. And then, you know, we did all we needed to do there. And I 
picked up my bumper and put it into the uh, the car window, you, you know, and then he drove home and he felt horrible. And like, and then I walked into my first day of my career. Um, it's all uphill of, after that, right? Yeah, all uphill from there. <laughs> so I go in and I, I, I meet with, you know, my now one of my best friends, uh, who was my mentor at the time, Jim Schumann. And I told him what happened. He's like, what? He's like, do you need to go? I'm like, no, I mean, no, I, I'm not going anywhere. Um, so I had an internship uh, at Film Roman for that summer. Um, and then towards the end of the internship, uh, I they had me take a, uh, a test for The Critic. Remember that show? Uh, and then a test for The Simpsons. And, I, uh, and they put me on The Critic. And I was doing... I don't know if I was doing some design work. I was doing some lay. I was doing layouts and I was animating the characters a little bit, but I was only there for a couple months, and that was in September through November. And then the the line producer comes over to me and he's like, "Um, we don't have money for you anymore." And I'm 22 years old, and I'm looking up at him like, "Okay, what does that mean?" Like, so would you want to go downstairs on The Simpsons? And I'm like, "Yeah, that'd be cool." And then, so I went downstairs on The Simpsons that November, and that was it. I, I got we I went on hiatus in January, and I came back in May. During that hiatus, I did try to get into Disney because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to be a feature animator and stuff like that. Um, didn't in the long run. I'll, I'll come back to this. You can ask me about it later. Hopefully, um, I didn't know how good I had it on The Simpsons during a certain period after a while when it was just like, we're not doing full animation. I want to do full animation. But what, uh, for all intents and purposes, we were doing full animation. Like we, we were basically doing key posing, key animation. We were staying on model. We were doing everything that those animators did. We just weren't putting the finishing, the finishing touches on it like they get to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, I guess I'm answering this question now. Um, and then later, much later on, when Disney was the traditional animation department was scuttled and there was this massive, um, I don't know, not exodus or uh, movement. Everyone's trying to now get a job. I was on the receiving end of looking at those resumes and reels and stuff like that. So, but not only that, but um, uh, they were all over the internet because everybody was putting out their reels, and I'd see some beautiful, like incredibly beautiful animation. It was like two seconds here, three seconds there, five seconds here. And it was just nothing from some some animators, not all of them. Um, but you know, we all idol worship these supervising animators who create these performances and stuff like that. But back then, the way that those things were structured, it took you years to get to that point, unless you were some savant that was, and I know of a few people who kind of jumped the lines and stuff like that, but you know, there was a political hierarchy and this, that, and the other. So I was seeing all these reels of the type of animation that I had been longing to do but it was just these little snippets that I didn't feel like I would have never been able to sink our teeth in that. Whereas on the Simpsons, you were assigned scene 12 through 30, everything in it, yeah, every character, every background. I mean, we roughed out the backgrounds and then uh, the backgrounds were given to background layout artists who then took our rough shapes and turned it into the nice looking background that you would see, fix any perspective that, that um, you know, we were wrong with and stuff like that. 
Um, but like we would lay that, lay that all out, all the characters doing all the performances, all that stuff. And it was throughout. So you'd really get a sense of a performance from like over anywhere from like eight to, you know, 20 scenes. Mm-hmm. And, but when that was happening, uh, I wasn't even on the show anymore. And um, I was doing storyboarding at that point and stuff like that. So we weren't even, I wasn't even necessarily doing character layout, which is essentially key animation. Um, so uh, I'm really glad I, I, I kind of kicked myself for not realizing how good I had it, that I was animating. I animated scenes that had a hundred drawings in them. I animated action, this, that, and the other. I did, you know, all these things. Um, you know, uh, I, I I mentioned earlier a few of my claim to fame scenes like that, but the my legacy apparently is I did the stupid sexy Flanders section. <laughs> People are getting tattoos of stupid sexy Flanders. There's a maquette of him out there now somewhere. Like, yeah. So and it's funny, but like. Uh, you know, it's an easy joke. He's he's really buff, and he's wearing it. It's a bit, you know, it's a it's it's a slight. It's making fun of Homer's Homer being so, kind of homophobic, but not really. But it's yeah. like, it, it, you know, it's male machismo. I don't want to look at another male. So, but I was really happy to be on that show because I happened to be the only one on that show who uh, who skied, and the whole half first half of the show took place at a ski resort. And no one knew how to ski. I was the only one. So I asked if I can get the skiing scenes because I'll make them look real. Um, so that's why I got that section. Because so because when Homer has to go from skiing, accidentally skiing down the hill backwards to turning around and all that stuff like that. So like, the, um, you know, and then the other joke was him getting hit in the crotch with moguls, um, which is a silly joke. But you can't be a good getting hit in the crotch joke. <laughs> Um, so it's just interesting that, um, you know, and if you go, if you look at my website and stuff like that, I actually have a blog post of the whole sex, stupid, sexy Flanders stuff with the drawings from it and everything. That's really cool, man. It's good to know like where that one came from. Uh, you know, it's like I said, I had to sneak around to watch the show when I was younger, but getting to when I, when I would deploy, you could go down on the ship and then you could go to our little media libraries and you could rent out box sets, DVDs, movies, you know, whatever. Um, and most of the time, <clears throat> uh, studios would send movies that were barely out in theaters or weren't even out in theaters yet. They'd send them to the deployed sailors and soldiers and shit like that. And you can go and rent it out and your whole division could watch it before it kind of hit the movie theaters. Um, and oh, this is where I got to experience like the full length of the Simpsons over a decade ago. Um, you know, I'm just sitting there watching every box set. Fuck man. I think they were probably on like season 25, maybe 24, somewhere around there when I first started. So they had every season and I would just sit down there after I got out of work and would just watch these things. And it was, it was something that I looked forward to. And like I said, getting to watch it now with my son, getting to sit over there and see if the same thing that I would have laughed at if I snuck around, at 13, 14 and watched the Simpsons because my mom didn't want me to watch it. Uh, getting to see him laugh at possibly the same shit I laughed at. I just find it very interesting and very fun. Um, I had told Tim and Brad both as a Mark as well, um, that the King of the Hill was always my show and it came to adult animated cartoon. It's just like, there's something about that one. Like I quote that show 
at yeah. least three or four different quotes in there. It's always, I don't know you. That's my purse. When Bobby kicks the dude in the nuts, Ryan <laughs> learns um, it's pocket sand and sh -sh -sh -sh, you know, Dale Gribble or rusty shock for dependent on him. So there's certain yeah. things that are just like there, but the Simpsons, yeah. I equate it to this. When I was younger, I didn't realize you could like multiple genres of music. I figured you just had to pick with one and that's what you were stuck with. That's the kid that likes X, Y, and Z, or that's the kid that doesn't like this. You know, so I treated I treated King of the Hill and The Simpsons when I was younger like Biggie and Tupac. Either you were with Tupac or you were with Biggie. You couldn't do both, right? And it wasn't until I got older and you realized like, oh, you can like Biggie and Tupac? Well, fuck, fuck, Josh. That means I get to like The Simpsons and King of the Hill. So <laughs> for something that I pushed away for so long and then, like I said, revisiting now as an adult, I think I'm better for it because not only do I get all of the sexual innuendos, not only do I get all the jokes that wouldn't went over my head, I get to see the brilliance that you guys had and still have on that show. I know the later seasons tend to get a kind of shit on from time to time, from time to time. It's just fans, uh, fans like what they like and they don't like what they don't like. But like I said, getting to see this, this, these later seasons with my son and getting to like absorb all of this shit. I really feel like I, I just missed out as a kid getting to watch this show because you guys were hitting on such a level that I don't think mainstream media, obviously we all know Bart, we all know Homer, but I don't think like the real mainstream tycoons or anybody that was really watching the medium back then understood like how important the show was to American culture, American pop culture. Yeah, I think the people in power, if you want to call them that, just looked at it as that cartoon that time whether or not they were like you know george bush senior complaining about it or whatever they you know it was just it was just silly crass yes stuff i would say season three through ten mm -hmm. are some of if not the cleverest written television in history it's it's they those are the seasons those are the prime seasons mm -hmm. after 10 um i'd say there were maybe you know uh, if, uh out of an a season of 26 you know 22 to 26 episodes half of them were probably you know or a quarter of them were okay and then the other uh, another quarter were clunkers and then one half was still great and then you know whatever happened happened but um there was nothing smarter or more clever or more well-written. You know, one thing that I'm finding now in a lot of shows, not even just animation, but, um, you know, live action as well, is when you start to have any sort of ensemble, even especially if you start out with an ensemble, like every character's got to get their due in every episode. I mean, it might be contractual because nowadays too, they got to have celebrities. And if a celebrity is going to make a point, you know, going to devote their energy to an animated project. I want to make sure I'm in every episode this much to the detriment of the scripts, because you'll watch the Simpsons and you'll never, you'll see Bart like once or twice, if at all, sometimes it's all about Lisa. It's all about, you know, the B plot, you know, I think later on it started to be like B plots for everyone, but, um, it, but that waters down story, you know, because what ends up happening is it always ends up being overwritten. So you have an A and a B and possibly a C plot that are all like, let's say that's really well done. Let's say they do a good job of it. Not always the case, but usually there's a strong A plot and a not so strong B plot. But let's say they're all strong, maybe even a small C plot. But to give them their due, it's going to be overwritten. Mm -hmm. So either one, you know, so 
we end up doing more work and then it gets chopped out. So we get work, we do work we didn't have to do, or if it gets, if that gets remedied in the script phase, then things get shortened and cut out. So now none of them feel like an A plot. The emotional arc that you would have had is now suck, um, you know, sucked out of it or, or just kind of like lilts uh, be, because you had to give it all equal time. Mm-hmm. because you had to trim them all down you can't just trim one down you have to trim them all down and as a result the good the three or two or three good stories that you had are now just okay because you had to have three stories in that episode yeah. but you watch those years in the simpsons i mean that troy mcclure show fish called selma um man just shows like that one of my favorite episodes I ever worked on was The Wizard of Evergreen Terrace. I did a lot of work on that show. I think I was, I, that was probably like, I don't want to say it was my pinnacle or my peak because I worked there for so long. I had many pinnacles and peaks. But like, I think I was just cooking because <laughs> I remember getting a lot of work and um, getting done quickly. I probably just hit like a creative verb where you, mm. you know, you, you, you've, you've heard of diminished returns, you know, oh, when yeah. you're working too hard, like the opposite, like exponential returns. In a flow state. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did a lot of animated scenes with a lot of physical comedy. I did acting. And I was also a little attached to it because it dealt with Thomas Edison. And, and since I'm from New Jersey, our field trips, I probably went to the Thomas Edison Museum a few times growing up. So I kind of felt a small affinity. I didn't know like the harsh story about Thomas Edison that we all found out about later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. So... I think I can't remember where where were we? We were just kind of talking about the, like the oh oh you, you were saying um like King of the Hill oh people that 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 the people in power didn't realize what this show was going to do yeah and now if you watch any somewhat adult oriented um or mature whatever you want to call it try not to uh, uh, equate it to porn. <laughs> um uh any any ad- adult themed or or mature themed uh animated show it's it's a half rip off of the Simpsons. i mean the structure the way they talk the the way the acts break the the way the banter is like to, and and it's many shows i feel the show i'm working on now doing a really good job but um yeah so the simpsons created a way of doing it mm-hmm. right um so and and being there on the front lines and seeing it work i mean there were many things about the production itself that i've shaken many a fist at <laughs> you know when i was there stuff like that and, but in essence the process was done right and all i've seen in the last kind of 10 years y- you know not not that the rewind that um I'll, many times i just see people actively not doing it right mm-hmm. um and it wasn't until somewhat recently that i started to realize oh they weren't around when it was done right so they don't even know um because they're younger or they came into the industry from another venue um so there's a lot of struggles that go on in production these days that just don't have to be now granted 
not everyone has all the information to uh, understand how the, you know, what the left hand doesn't always know even what the right hand's experiencing to even mm-hmm. know how they feel. So, and with the pandemic, the pandemic uh, really hurt communication for obvious Absolutely. reasons. So anyway, but I did want to jump on what you were saying earlier about King of the Hill. Um, that show, I mean, it, it was a very successful show. Oh yeah, but it—I don't think it ever got its due because there are some fantastic. Episodes. I didn't even watch it all that much. I, I watched—I probably seen you know the the first half of, of 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 the run at least, and I watched a number of episodes. I have good friends with people who are on that show. Sean Cashman, who you had on, he was he was my director on—I was his AD on the one episode. He was a Simpsons director. Mm-hmm. I was his assistant director, um, and we're good friends. Um, but like. Such a kind person. That, yeah, he's great. But they did some great, great stuff on that show, and it was really well written. Greg, I heard stories about how Greg Daniels would talk about story and, and how to um, curate story. And um, and then I would walk upstairs to visit a friend or whatever, and you know, we had we, there was all these recycling bins all around. We would be throwing out drawings left and right because we were you know whatever. And I would see some beautiful drawings of Dale and um. This one drawing of Dale I found in the, I might have kept it. I probably have in the folder somewhere. Um, when he's wearing a dress, he's got a little bit of rouge and lipstick, and it was like this beautifully draft, beautiful draftsmanship on this drawing. And it was just sitting in a recycling bin. And I think that was an original drawing. And then I saw, I don't know if I saw this on someone's desk while they were working on it or in a recycling bin, but it was a close up of cotton. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who's listening right now. Uh, it was Cotton is the character who was Hank Hill's dad, but he was a short guy mm-hmm. whose shins got his shins got blown off in Vietnam or whatever. But um, as a machine gun, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was in World War Two. World War Two, uh, yeah. yeah, the right, big right. one. <laughs> uh, so, um, but his face was just all wrinkled, mm-hmm. yeah. and what ended up on air, you know, mm-hmm. once it goes through the watered down machine of overseas cleanup and stuff like that and since that style was hard to capture you know properly you know the way that things were cleaned up and put on cells back then um what was it still xerox you know it didn't really it didn't really honor the beautiful artwork that went into it but this drawing of cotton had all these wrinkles on his face that were really intricately describing the contour of his face and it was like beautiful drawing um, and I just said to myself, man, it's not going to look like that on the television. <laughs> I would have walked out with recycling bins every single day. Like I said, yeah. that show is so special. There's a few shows that I look back on um, fondly like I do with that one. Like, Hey Arnold was one of them. That, that one's the one that kind of taught me how to be a good human being. You know, my mom taught me how to be a good person and a good human being. But Hey Arnold as a kid first show i ever watched as a kid where it didn't talk down to you for being a kid right craig bartlett did something so special and then when i get a little bit older and i start having and trying to develop the sense of humor or the sensibility that i would like to have i find king of the hill right king of the hill like i was just talking about with the simpsons king of the hill futurama the simpsons you can throw family guy in there you can throw american dad on the outside looking at those shows 
they all have one thing in common that most folks are going to see, especially from the older generation. Oh, that's just a dick and fart joke type of humor. It's not really good humor. That like that type. But when you peel back the layers of, of that show, of those shows in particular, you start to find out, like I had Eric Kaplan on not too long ago. He's with a guy that wrote um, uh, Jurassic Bark for Futurama, the one that makes everybody cry where Fry loses his dog, brings it back from, brings it back to modern day. Um, you know, and ends up having to let him go. But uh, you find out like the writing room for both The Simpsons, both King of the Hill, Futurama, all those shows, they're all fucking Harvard, Yale grads, Stanford grads, all these guys. They're intelligent people. And then you find like I tried telling my mom when my mom talked about, uh, you know, she saw my oldest son, Hayden. She's like, you're letting him watch that shit. And she's talking about The Simpsons like, yeah, mom, this is a funny show and it's a smart show. No, it's dumb. I, and I go and I pull up the credits and I was like, Stanford grad, Harvard grad. Yale grad, you told me that these schools were all supposed to be something when we were younger. I was like, how can this show be stupid if they have all of these people from all of these prestigious schools? And then that just killed the conversation right away. I was right. Mom was wrong. I felt vindicated <laughs> that you guys were working on some smart <laughs> shit, you know, but but in particular, man, like King of the Hill. I don't think there's another show out there that has. In 12 seasons, they said everything, but they still have more to say. I really hope last year when they came out and they said that they were definitely going to be doing a revisit to King of the Hill. I really hope that happens. If anybody deserves it, but Beavis and Butthead has gotten three renewals and three revives or what do you want to call them? Revival shows, um, reboots. That's the word I was looking for. King of the Hill deserves one, even if it's just for one season. Fuck, give me six hours worth. Just give me six hours to 12 episodes. I want to see these characters, even though some of them are gone. Sadly, you know, Lucky's gone. Um, fuck, who was that? That was the singer. Shit. Can't think of his name. He'll come back later. Um, and then, you know, Brittany Murphy is gone. Luann, she passed away too a few, you know, a few years back. Um, He'll get a good sound alike, though. Yeah, 100%. But even then, if you just wanted to write those characters off, you know, it, it's just, I would love to. But you see. can't write off Luann. <laughs> I mean, you can, but you can't. I'm pretty sure there's some smart folks that work on this. I think they could figure something out. They could figure um, out, you know, but. I, I wouldn't though. She's funny. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it's Dale, Dale, and Boomhauer. Man, I don't know what it was. I think Boomhauer just sounded like so many people that you know I grew up with, as far as like my mom's family. Even though they weren't from Texas, they all had the damn oh, man. You know, you couldn't understand. You know, and they just talk, yeah. talk, 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 <laughs> talk. You know, that's what they sounded like. So it was just, it felt homely. Yeah. It felt very homely. Um, but you know, getting it back to you and the Simpsons, man. Uh, you know whoa. With working on these characters, obviously you said you watched this in college a little bit, and you you fall in love with the show. You hear people start talking about your show. Now, with the characters in particular, everybody's got their favorite that they love to draw. So I'm not asking you what your favorite is. I'm asking you which character did you slip into, like a comfortable pair of shoes or a nice pair of socks, man? Which which character was the easiest to slip into? Um, I mean, well, Homer. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, I mean, I could I could probably even draw a decent drawing with him with my eyes closed, literally. Um, so easy about him, but just his uh, he's not easy. No, no, well, was why just, was that easy to slip into though? Why was that easy for you guys to slip into for you? Um, I mean, the shapes are nice, they're you know, once you actually understood what was going on, his acting was funny. He always he had such multi layered comedy going on with him. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say personality wise, it would probably be Mo. Yeah, like Mo. Mo is a bit of a bit of my alter ego as, as well. Uh, you know, angry guy from New Jersey, or whatever. So uh, 
although I always made his, I had a real hard time. Not always, I shouldn't say that, but uh, I would make his arms too short. I have a tendency to make arms too short sometimes. I think I'm foreshortening them, and then they end up looking short. And it's not till I look back on it the next day where I realize, oh my god, what did I do? Um, but Mo is one of my. I always asked my director whenever I would work with someone, like, give me Mo stuff. Yeah, Mo stuff. I want to do Mo stuff. Um, but uh, and then Grandpa, but uh, yeah. So Mo, Grand, Mo, Homer, and Grandpa. Yeah. And then with, so same, same question, but opposite, uh, who was the hardest character for you to slip into, whether it was just dialogue, whether it was drawing, whether it was acting out, which one was the hardest one, which going to be most trouble? Oh, geez. You know, who was hard to draw was the Reverend's wife, Helen Lovejoy, <laughs> a weird shaped head and her eyes didn't like, and, and she didn't have any personality in her face. Like those shapes on her face, there were a number no yeah, one's coming to mind to answer. Mean. Yeah, no, no one's coming to nothing. No one in particular is coming to mind to answer your question in the broader sense. Mm -hmm. But there are there were many characters on the show that the, the design, because of the way that the Simpsons world was, the universe, they were hard to um, difficult to give expression to and bring to life. Um. No one else is really. Uh, we all, I'll tell you what was hard to draw. I'll just, yeah, I mean, it can kind of tell you things like that. Was uh, Lisa's hair was very yeah, hard to that draw. Yeah, up a couple times. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd have to, everyone had their own way of doing it. You had to create a certain shape of roundness, like the halo, and where you were going to break it up. Because when you're animating, your eye has to track where things go. Um, you know, like Bart was easy because he had nine spikes. You draw one on this side, one on this side, one in the middle, and then one in the middle, and then one in the middle, and then you just fill it in and done. Yeah. Like, so that was easy. But Lisa had, you had to keep the same number. Um, Maggie was real tough because then Maggie's hair on the model, the model sheets were um, uh, not suspiciously, what's the word I'm looking for? Were the model sheets were deceivingly difficult. Yeah, deceptive. Because yeah. we, this, yeah, so we would have new people come on the show, and then they would start moving the characters around, but they would look wrong. We'd tell them that. I was like, well, I was using the model. I was like, yeah, but the model doesn't work. <laughs> like, the model works from that angle. So we had all these cheats. Like, you had to make Homer's nose come out at a certain angle compared to his head. And if you did, you know, and you had to cheat the eyes, because if the eyes were perfect and then they turned, he didn't have, he looked like a, he, he looked dead. Mm -hmm. So there were all these little cheats and things that we did to make them like that. And sometimes it would be because one of the artists or one of the directors had a way of drawing that. And then that became like, oh, I really like that. that so we would start emulating each other and drawing it. To, oh, yeah, I, was, I saw Scott do this the other day. So I started to do, do that, you know, when I drew Homer and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and all this stuff also, too, influences the way I draw today. Influence, mm -hmm. you know, when I you know, worked on Randy, the next show I worked on, well, 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 the next show I worked on was Family Guy, um, which was easy to draw to a certain extent. Um, uh, but uh, then the next one after that was Randy Cunningham, Ninth Grade Ninja, which mm -hmm. couldn't look more different than The Simpsons. But I, you know, and, and even my own personal work over the years, the, the thing about drawing on The Simpsons was there were these really forced uh, geometrical shapes so 
some people had difficult drawing them because they were they were used to using anatomy to create their figures but the simpsons characters really didn't have anatomy we over the years we gave them a little bit more anatomy but to be able to draw so clearly with such clear shapes that really stood out and had strong poses um and, and without being bogged down in details that you know a, a more um complicated you know design may look um really helped me draw anything because yeah. I, I there's a character i'm drawing now actually i'm wearing i'm wearing the, the crew christmas gift that they gave us this year who um i just kind of draw him like like homer's it, just because that's how his, his body is and then i end up shaving it down a little bit and doing some things to it but the the clarity of drawing um and posing that many of us on the simpsons learned from um was invaluable to carry us through our, our careers today you know it's just when you have trouble drawing something you're not sure about something we we were trained to break it down into this most simplest form that just helps us draw whatever we need to i guess i i will never say i can't draw that yeah um, I can say I don't know how to I don't know what that looks like to draw but you give me a picture of it and I can figure out the shape and I can draw it like there's nothing someone you know like us can't draw because we're animators we draw it from every angle we just got to figure out what the shape is once we know what the shape is we can draw anything yeah and working on the Simpsons since it was so shape oriented you know it trained us that way and you know it like it, the Simpsons was the best training ground for I would say you know there's like a, a hundred of us out there who like uh were were developed these skills on this show that we were doing we were doing it the way that they did it old school mm-hmm. you know we, did, uh, we we were all worked on paper then but we were doing animation we were doing animated poses you know we were labeling our drawings you know we had to, you know then I learned timing you know once you learn timing and how the drawings actually work you know the in betweens that aren't even being done then you actually start changing the way you're animating to compensate for what you know, how you know it will be timed, stuff like that. Um, and we just learned all these parts of it in store. That's where I first learned real storyboarding. I mean, I learned how to storyboard in college. But, um, and every and there were so many good artists on it. We were just, like I said, we were learning from each other and growing our own techniques. Um, so it was this little microcosm, something super, uh, lightning in a bottle, something super duper special that, that happened you know, a span of, I would say, 12 years mm-hmm. on that show. Um, and uh, so I think, I think back to your original question <laughs> um, is, or something I was saying a while ago, I wish I saw it as that special when it was there. I mean, we all have the gift of hindsight. Yeah. Um, you know. Knowing what you know now, what do you think is the most important thing that you learned, not only from that show, but you probably still use on a day-to-day basis? Well, I don't know if it was because of the show or it was just, I mean, I was there for 15 years, but phrasing Mm -hmm. uh, when you're animating dialogue. Uh, So many people who aren't as experienced and they may be brilliant, but they're just not as experienced, We'll do a pose for like all these words, but you don't do a pose for a word. You do a pose for a phrase. You know, we don't move like this every time we say something. You know, 
move like this every time we say something. Two poses. You, you know, and then maybe a little head bob or this, that, or the other. And economic economic posing where it's just like I remember I was I did too many poses of him going up the stairs and I was like, these poses are too close to each other, like physically close to each other. Um but he has to go from here to here. So I was like, well, what if I put him in the middle and then just changed his leg? So I turned two poses into one and I started to learn how to be economic mm -hmm. with that. So, and then I came up, I, I mean, I came up with it. I, I'm sure other people say it, but uh, I used to say, you know, when I would go over someone's work and say, you're doing too many poses. You always want to think about it. As in, this is especially important storyboarding now. Um, as many, uh, you want to do it in as few poses as possible, but as many as you need. Yeah. Um, and that really freed me up to like, you know, when you start breaking down the dialogue into phrases, what's the sound someone's making while they're talking like this? And uh, they talk like this right now and stuff like that. So you really start to hear the performance, mm -hmm. not analyze the meaning of the words, you know, um, and with, with acting, when you're, with any acting, but you know, with animation, since you're basically acting in slow motion, it's um, you're animating emotions. The words carry the meaning. That makes Stuff sense, like that. man. And uh, so, doing that hindsight for just a little bit, um, if you could go back and you could tell your younger self, getting that DeLorean, you could go back in time and say, Josh just came back from the future. What would you tell yourself while you're on The Simpsons? Anything in particular you'd say? I mean, yeah, more what I was saying earlier. Just smell it, stop and smell the roses more, dude. Yeah. Um, I that I started on that show when I was 22 years old or 23, no, 22, and that was the only job I had had for mm -hmm. many years. So I didn't, you know, I started to hear stories about other studios. I had friends who went to Disney and then came back because it was too hard. Or not a good environment. Like I heard, I heard many horror stories from Disney, and you know things like that. But at the same time, I still didn't really understand that the problems I had when I was there, um, the problems I had when I was there were everywhere. Mm -hmm. So you might as well enjoy where you are. Um, and then I also would have told myself not to work my body so hard. Yeah. You know, because I'm feeling the effects of it today. And I can easily see how I basically, you know, and I started to do it in college. Since college, I started training myself not to listen to my body mm -hmm. and defy it and work myself so hard that it, you know, starts to affect, you know, your emotional and mental states, which then starts to affect your physical state, which then starts to affect your emotional and mental state. And then it's the snake eating its own tail. And the demands that were put on all of us, you know, even to this day, I mean, where I'm working right now is actually one of the nicest environments, even though I'm working from home, that I've, that I've ever been on. It's, people are great. Um, the show is really good. Uh, and it, it's, it's just every time I start to get freak out about the do this and then this is going to happen and then they give us more people or, or or we get more time or this that and the other or no one's pointing any fingers no one's blaming anyone no one's breathing down our neck and i was just like this is great but it's rare and back in the day um and it was also you know i'm a product of the 80s and the 90s and the 90s snark 
and sarcasm and being angry at things was just in the zeitgeist. Is in vogue, yeah. Um, it's the way we grew up. And I'm not saying it's bad because it kind of, you know, toughens your skin. But, uh, you know, looking back now, the way things are, you know, I think the woke pendulum swings, you know, a little too much in some ways sometimes, too. But, um, man, we were angry about everything. All of us were. And uh, so I went from walking down the hallway, I was saying the first three years of my career, an experienced background artist was came was walking with me. She asked me, um, how you you know, how how's your day so far? I was like, Great, this is the best part of my day. I'm I'm arriving here at work. And she's like, Oh my god, this is the best part of your day. And I thought to myself, why would you not think that? I thought to myself, I was just like, Well then why are you still here? Why don't you leave? You know, and then cut to a number of years later, it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm killing myself to try to get something done cursing out whoever I can curse out. Um that you know that said it was fun you know but um yeah that's that's kind of it don't you know you know stop smell the roses appreciate what you are actually doing um i'll tell myself a few of those stories i just told here a little earlier about you know how much animation i'm actually doing Mm -hmm. um i mean i i and anytime i did a scene i liked i xeroxed it and uh, I, I probably have a larger arc, uh, the second largest archive of Simpsons drawings, aside from the Simpsons drawings archive. <laughs> I, I probably I have hundreds and hundreds of scenes upstairs. Say that. Five I started. Times. I, what's that? I said, say that five times fast. Yeah, more Simpsons that. archives than the Simpsons yeah. archives. That's archives. <laughs> um, and then uh, you know, I started turning them into pencil tests. Uh, uh, I I scanned them and started to turn them into pencil tests on the computer. And that's a lot of work I found out. So I, I petered out very quickly on that. I was going to, Oh, and I could take the sound from the shows and put them in, but I didn't. Uh, But now more recently, uh, I kind of, when you asked me to do this podcast, I was like, Oh, people are going to, I'm going to be talking about the Simpsons. I'm sure. And I don't have any Simpsons work on my website. So I, on my Instagram, I recently, which really started to feel good. Uh, started posting those videos of of the uh, stuff that I used to do on the show, and it feels good because now it's like I'm, it's just sort of like, hey, look what I did, you know. Like everyone wants to be recognized and seen, and absolutely the the anonymity of being an animator, like I was saying earlier, is nice because you basically can be a person, and then the work that you do that you put your love into is famous, and that's a great feeling. Um, but you, you do get lost in a crowd in in that regard. Like, you know, so, and there, like I said, like those King of the Hill drawings and other people's drawings, there's some really great stuff that I've done and other people have done and stuff like that. Like we want to see it. I love if you, if, if, if anyone listening is not following him, follow Sandro Clouseau. Man, I love Sandro. Yeah. He, I have a couple of his books, the great, and I, I'm, He's one of the few people that I have notifications on for Instagram for when he posts stuff. But like, you know, when, when you know, I'm 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 such a drawing nerd, mm-hmm. you know, that when Glenn Keane used to publish all his rough drawings and things, I was like, look at that. I th- I have one of Glenn Keane's drawings from Aladdin. I, I think it's his drawing. It looks like it's drawing, and uh, but like, so t- 
part of me is proud of my work and I want people to see it in its in its form. Um, but I also want people to see, look how this is done. Isn't this great? Isn't this something? Like I did this little uh for the for the episode where the Who visits Springfield. Mm-hmm. Me and Sean were really stoked about the Who and we um studied we 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 printed out still because there was no computers that did this back then. We had to like uh, take pictures of the television um, and, you know, you know, step frame through, through their motions and stuff. So I, um, um, I studied Keith Moon's movements and stuff. And if you watch the show, Keith Moon's maybe about that big on the television. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to post my drawings a few weeks ago of, of those, uh, you know, have him playing the drums and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Again, I don't remember what your original question was. I'm a big mouth. Oh no, you're perfectly fine, man. It's just the uh, advice you'd give yourself. So you broke it down pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I think that's something we could all learn from. That always comes up. That comes up, oh, man. Probably every other podcast when I ask that question. If you go back in time. Um, and it's, it's all just appreciating the ride. I hear it so many times. I don't know if you're a sports fan, but I'm a huge NBA fan. And, uh, so there's a few podcasts that I listen to that are NBA centric. And the first thing they always say is like, you know, looking back on your career, you know, what would you tell your younger self or what would you do differently? And he's like, man, I'd probably appreciate the ride because if you're all shooting for the NBA trophy at the end of the year, right? The NBA finals, you win it, you get a trophy. He was like, you get lost in the moment when you're supposed to be experienced in the moment. He's like, the journey is just as much, if not more important than the end result. It's everybody coming together. It's everybody growing together. I mean, you said you started there at 22 years old. It's it's wild to think that at such a young age, you guys are on something that is going to stand the test of time. There's no, it doesn't matter if The Simpsons ends tomorrow. It doesn't matter if the fucking Simpsons ends 20 years from now. That show's never going anywhere. There's, it's, it's it's like Mickey Mouse, like you said, it's it's those two characters that stick out synonymous all around the world. Superman, Batman, Bart Simpson, Homer Simpson, right? It's Coca-Cola and Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck and Goofy, fucking Moe and Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns has always been my favorite character. I fucking love that character so much, man. Oh, his, he was hard to draw. His his head had this weird... His this weird angle that like if they just designed it more like animation friendly it would have but like so that he was hard to get his head yeah yeah but like like I said man it's the journey is what everybody says they wish they would have paid attention to just a tad bit more so ladies and gentlemen don't wait twenty years from now and have in hindsight is that uh, that buddy in your front pocket man think about it now enjoy the journey it sucks sometimes but it's, sometimes it's good you get you get to do a lot of shit along the way yeah enjoy so. it like if you enjoy it like i yeah. love animating mm-hmm. so like and believe me i most of my time on the show was spent sitting there in the zone mm-hmm. and it was great um but uh, there were, you know, there you come across people who have been complaining since it started, you know, and like, then why are you doing that? Yeah. You, you know, like, why, why are you even here? Like, and why are you bad mouthing the very thing that I'm devoting my life to? Now, granted, I'm older now, probably about as old as some of those people were back then. <laughs> and I understand what they're talking about now. Yeah. 
But like, and I have my problems with the industry. Anyone who knows me knows that. But they also know that like, I love this thing. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I'm not going to be in this industry anymore is if I can't do the thing that I love. Yeah. You know, and there's a little bit of, I'm, I'm having a little bit of a, a, a back and forth with it now. The, the process of making these shows has changed a lot and um, it's different. And so there's some things I need to reconcile still and stuff like that. But um, first of all, what the hell else am I going to do? I'm like, I have no marketable skills aside from making TV shows, which, you know, mo most of the public can't do. Um, but, um, um, I just thought, I don't want, if I ever get to that point where this person just hates being here and hates doing the job and just hates, 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 it's just like, I gotta get out. I'll go into real estate. I'll do whatever I need to do to like, <laughs> to, to earn, earn a living, but I'm not going to just feel, you know, I get, you know, I, I feel a little bit of certain things because I feel the industry has changed. I mean, especially since now 2D animation is just like hand-drawn 2D animation and it's hit such a peak before it was taken away. Like it could have, you know, it could have gone to such heights where something like the movie Klaus was just the standard. Yeah. Um, that I have a little heartbreak. Like, every almost every day if not weekly about what what we don't have anymore yeah. uh, and then when to a certain extent what i don't have anymore you know there's a lot we do a lot of rough thumbnails and storyboarding and then we and then we it gets put into animatic for and then there's rewrites and then while we're doing while they're rewriting that we're roughing out the late uh, another batch of rewrite i spent not too long ago, I spent two months just doing thumbnail. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, and I, luckily our show was great. And I talked to, some, you know, my director and some of our, uh, and our producer and stuff. Just like, we were going to get to clean up our own board. And um, because a lot of times the board would be cleaned up in a rush by other artists who were thrown on it to get it out the door. Yeah. So we don't feel this ownership. You know, this, I don't even have something. I mean, you, I can't Xerox anything now, but like, I don't even have finished thing to save and show so luckily after that um we got our, some of our work back as opposed to being put onto someone and it was great and i got to finish i get to do this acting because the, the vocal performances are so rich and and give you so much and that's my favorite thing to do is to i got in this business to be an animator i learned how to do everything else but i'm an animator who yeah. does these other things and I was I was the director. I don't know. We we haven't talked about this. I was an assistant director on The Simpsons for I guess better. I, I did nine at nine full episodes uh, as an assistant director. Which depending on your director, you're either a glorified um, layout artist, where basically you just you're a helper, or you're a second director. Now, luckily, you know you can tell I'm somewhat gregarious and headstrong, like. I don't want to do a lot of things. Like I, I was basically a co-director when, when they were busy doing their thing, I was handing out work and I was giving direction, stuff like that. And then um, I directed, um, I was, a, I was a full on director once I was on Randy Cunningham for 10 years and I love, and I loved it, but um, you know, it was difficult because at times I, uh, I wanted to do more animating. I wanted to do more of this, you know, instead you're kind of curating and, 
and I believe me, I did plenty of work on the shows myself, but, um, you know, a friend of mine said like, you got to take off your animator hat and you got to put on your director hat sometimes. And at first I was like, well, what's the difference? You know, you just know, but I started to understand what that, what the difference is. One's management and one's crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few years ago, um, things started to change to the, to the point where I was doing more management and way more management than artistry. And, uh, and the artistry I was doing was rushed and under duress. And I was just like, well, and I said to myself, well, this is the job, dude. If you don't, you know, this is the job. Uh, so suck it up and do it. And that's what I would say to myself over the years too, when things got rough. I was like, well, these are, you love doing this. You got to deal with all that. So that's all part of that job. Embrace the suck. And that's what, another thing I would told yeah, embrace the suck yes. because you don't get to do this if you if you don't do that. But not too long ago, the balance, the ratio became too great for me, and I was just like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do. I I want to direct, but not under these circumstances. Yeah. Um. So I stopped, and then I started to go, and then I became. I don't want to say I went back into storyboarding because technically, I mean. Uh, it's not necessary. Uh, aside from two uh, two jobs, I have never been a storyboard artist before that. I was a character layout artist. I learned all about storyboarding, and then I was a director. Mm-hmm. Um, I did I, when I was on Family Guy. I was I was a storyboard revisionist, which was a great education because it was earlier. It was early ish in the days of of digital workflow, and we're using a program called Storyboard Pro, which you probably heard people talk yeah. about. So. As a revisionist, you have to revise the work that's already been done. And I was a very advanced crew person, so I knew how to do these things. But I learned I had to take apart someone's scene and, and like, why did they put it together like this? Because no one was was practiced at being uh, uh, an economic and healthy workflow within the software. It was all new to us, so but everything was a mess. It looked fine when you just looked at it, but when I had to go in and fix something, it was a mess. Yeah. Um, so then I learned what I learned how to do it right and how or what not to do. And I also learned how to pull things apart. I learned the software and like why can't I I gotta do this? So I learned all these shortcuts. So it was great. And then um I started doing work in in well, first they then they found out I could animate. So they started giving me all these animation things to do. I have some of it on my website. Um, and then I started working in retakes where I knew the people in retakes. Uh, it was Greg Lovell, Lindsay Pollard, and maybe Winslow. I think that was her name at the time. Um, and uh, they all knew me. For, I, all, I knew them from Simpson. My first day on Family Guy was me being brought around, like just saying hi to about 30 people I already knew. Yeah. Um, so then I was just working for them. And then uh, my buddy, uh, Sean Cashman, called me up and asked me if I wanted to direct on Randy Cunningham. And uh, then, uh, so did that. And that was for four years with a six month hiatus where I worked on Wally Kazam uh, for six months, which that was a great little show. I don't know if anybody had seen that, but those, it was, they were songs in that show and I could not stop singing those songs. But, uh, and then I went back to Randy Cunningham and then towards the end of Randy Cunningham, my buddy Jim Schumann came out and said, Hey, do you want to come direct over on over at DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. 
And I started on another project at DreamWorks that got canceled before it even got started and then ended up on Spirit Riding Free, which um, was one of, is the most proud I have ever been about a project I've worked on, the Spirit Riding Free. Uh, great show. We, we basically combined Little House in the Prairie with um, John Ford movie. Mm-hmm. But very heartfelt real a lot of life lessons we kind of touched upon some things that a lot of animated shows just sort of, sort of skirted over or sugar-coated it but we like we showed kids learning less learning life lessons and how to deal with it uh i'd say that's the show i'm the most proud of randy cunningham was the best creative experience i've ever had and the simpsons was just um organized chaos <laughs> It's organized chaos, but uh, um, it's funny because people know me for, you know, again, I shake, I've shaken my many a fist at many a thing over the years, but it was a glorious creative curation, if you want to call it that. Um, like what was going on during the Disney Renaissance, I know I'm sort of repeating myself from before, there was a smaller, a smaller version, you know, like a small microcosm, like I said, that was happening there. And it was just like we just did so much good work. Yeah. Um so all through the nineties. Yeah. And I've been lucky that um most of the shows I've been on have gone for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So I haven't had many jobs. Um, you know, since then, you know, I've jumped around a little bit. So I've had more but like it was like fifteen years and then, you know, four a year and a half, four years, and then six years. And then, you know, I've had a handful here and there after that. But um, this new show I'm on called Crepopolis. It's the new Dan Harmon show. Mm-hmm. Um, supposed to air sometime in 2023. Keep an eye out for it, folks. Uh, but this, uh, this, uh, this, may be go, this may go for a while. And then I'm also working on a project um, called Jasmine and Skeet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to jasmineandskeet.com, jasmine with two Z's and skeet with a K, um, uh, you'll see what we're doing there. We're basically developing these characters to uh, ha- have a large web presence and then turn that into an animated series at some point. Yeah. Um, but, to do down so I can make sure I put them in the show notes below so people can yeah, check Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, so my, po- my point there just was that because of the long runs that I've had, good long runs, uh, I haven't had many jobs, which is uncommon for an animation artist. Yeah, yeah. Because when I've when I've looked at the you know credits or I've just talked to folks, and then you see not so much the turnaround in a bad sense. Because you know I work in the kitchen for a living, so the level that we're doing at the place I'm at now, it's most people burn out within a year tops because of the pace we do right we got a slow lulls but we when it gets busy it gets really busy and the scale that we're doing as far as the technique um the food i mean you know during the during the peak of our season i'd say almost 90 plus percent of our veg is coming from that are on the plate is coming from a farm um you know so we've got hands-on with some of the freshest produce I've ever had, some of the best produce I've ever had. It's gotten to the point where we've gotten so big where some of the farmers are starting to grow stuff. We're asking them to grow specifically for us so we can put it on the plate at specific times of the year. I mean, so, you know, it's 
and a lot like I draw so many lines or so many correlations to animation because it's a super creative endeavor, both cooking and drawing um, or any kind of artistic endeavor. It, it's you're tapping into a piece of yourself that most people are afraid to because nobody wants to tell Nobody wants to be told that their artistic endeavors is shit, right? So drawing something for somebody, cooking something for somebody is very much of somebody giving you a piece of themselves, right? And yeah. like I said, nobody likes rejection. But the the turnaround rate or, or the washout rate, whatever you want to call it, is pretty high once you start. Once you start doing like we're doing, we're chasing our first Michelin star, um, which is like you guys as Emmy, right? So that's like the creme of the creme. That's the doesn't get any higher than that, right? Oscar, I guess, gets higher than that. But, you know, Emmy is what most people in TV chase for. And then for us, it's the Michelin. James Beard is another one we're chasing, you know. So when I see somebody that's that hasn't been, you know, 72 different credits and they've got some time, it shows me that that person is a tech, a tactician, or not a tactician. That's the wrong word. Um, maybe a tactician is the right word. And I'm just Craftsman? using craftsman for sure that's one but you guys craftsman is a better one i use that one all the time you guys are masters of your crafts you guys are putting in that bruce lee that bruce lee rule that ten thousand hour rule right or that 10, uh, yeah rule you know um so i love seeing that because you guys the more reps you get with anything the better you're gonna get and i can't remember what animator said it um but they said you got to throw out ten thousand drawings before you start getting good so you might as well start now is essentially what it was when you boil yeah. it down to but like I said, man, I, I really enjoy what you guys and gals do in the industry. You know, if it wasn't for, you know, stuff like the Iron Giant behind you, man. I mean, obviously, I told you before the next time I'm hoping within the next month or so I can start putting some cartoon characters back on this wall. Because if it wasn't <laughs> for these guys or these, you know, I've got Snoopy on my hand. I've got Ninja Turtles on my mm -hmm. arm. If it wasn't for things like that, I mean, I've got if you were ever a fan of Ed, Ed and Eddie. You know, if it wasn't for characters like Plank Man, if it wasn't for characters like Batman, you know, I, I don't know what I'd be into, right? I wouldn't have a fun childhood, I could tell you that. I wouldn't have a fun adulthood, I could tell you that. Um, you know, so you guys really pushed innovation, especially with The Simpsons. I mean, without this show, there's so many things that don't happen. I mean, ha, Simpsons did it, right? That was yeah, yeah. the thing. When I was growing up and everybody would point yeah. when South Park, when you guys, when all three of the big three went at it, Simpsons, South Park and Family Guy, I was like, holy shit, this is the MCU before I knew what the MCU was. <laughs> it yeah. was the most wild shit I had ever seen at such a young age, man. So I guess funny, you guys, funny story about oh, good. Oh, no, no, I'm just saying you guys fucking crushed it is what I was getting at. But I can't wait to hear what you're saying about this because I love when this. Oh. Well, fun fun story about South Park. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, the original South Park was just this Christmas special where Santa and Jesus have a have a fight match in, in a ring. But it was just on videotape. So, and it, I like I remember someone brought it to work. Oh, you got to watch this thing that I found, and we watched it in someone's office. And then that tape we got copied and copied, yeah. so we all had copies of it. But like that was we were on The Simpsons watching this this what is what even is this yeah. uh, of, of and then it turned into south park crazy yeah. it's wild to see how far that show and the fact every time i i hear somebody say there's no way you can do that in today's day and age i point to south park i was like fuck you well the thing is they because they own it 
Yeah, they're grandfathered in at this point, too. Yeah, well, they're they're grandfathered in, but they're also, they're their own bosses. And Mm -hmm. they can just do what they want because they're the ones who do it. I also hear they work people to death, but that's not (laughs) Um. So, you know, most of the time, I mean, so many times great things that were done get redone not so great because somebody somewhere afraid of offending someone. I got I have to tell you this, uh, some story off the air. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, I'm tongue tied because I can't, I can't, I can't, oh, I can't get get out what I want, what I'm thinking. Oh, it's no, it's no problem at all, man. Well, we've hit that hour and a half mark and I figure what we can do. Uh, I'd love to have you back on down the road. Uh, we got some, we got some guests lined up, um, but maybe uh, right around the, right around about a month or two after the baby's born sometime in May or June, I can get you back on. We can talk about another point in time in your career. Uh, Cause like I said, we, we talked about that, that first, you know, most of this was, was Simpsons related because that's how I found out about you. Tim said, you got to have my buddy Josh on. I was like, absolutely, man. So anytime I could, anytime I can get you guys on that, if, uh, you know, Brad led to Tim, Tim led to you, um, you know, uh, Sean led to Mark. Um, and I think Mark, uh, Sean. Actually yeah, I worked for Mark. I was, uh, I was Mark's AD for two, sh- two or three shows. He's such Mark's a AD dude. for a little bit. Yeah, he's such yeah. a cool dude. And I don't know if you saw, but I had Sandro Cluzo on early last year too. And, oh, you did? Uh, no, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I, I, yes. per, I I watched I watched Tim's video. Mm-hmm. Then I watched most of Sean's video. And then sometimes like when I'm working, like I can't always listen to people being interviewed while I'm working. Yeah. I have to do it when I'm driving or like in the morning, but I'm not driving anymore because it's a pandemic. So but I but then I also I didn't want to be too influenced by your show mm-hmm. before I sat down and talked to you. So That's I kind of purposely stayed away because I was looking through your videos. I was like, oh, because I saw you had Nick Rainier. Nick Rainier is one of my heroes. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like, uh, yeah, there was a social thing with a friend of a friend where he was at and I was sick. And when I found out he ended up showing up, I was like, you know, I don't, but then again, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, you know, don't meet that. You shouldn't always meet your heroes. Oh man, I but used to like, hear that, but I've met all—not all of them yet. Because there's there's uh there's one in particular that that I'm hoping one day will be on the show, and that's Gendy Tartakovsky. I, in my opinion, oh, yeah. he is the Mount Rushmore four times over for me. I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing against any other person that's ever worked in this industry. What what Chuck Jones, Walt Disney, what um tex avery is to folks you know insert bob clampett anybody you want to put in there man max fleischer whoever that's what gendy is to me gendy is my to, uh, chuck jones you know that's great i uh i mean my chuck jones and tex avery is chuck jones and tex avery because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when i when i was a kid that's what was on like yeah. like there wasn't even there was probably a tenth or a fifth of the animation on when we, when I was a kid than there is today. And like, it was all Tom and Jerry bugs, the Looney Tunes, the Flintstones and Tex Avery cartoons, like mm-hmm. Woody Woodpecker, you know, like that was our animation, you know, yeah, I, I a really good. Oh, here's my Tex Avery book right here. Oh yeah. Let me just show you real quick. And I got like my, this is my coffee table bookshelf. Like uh-huh. my, how to draw my, how to draw a uh, bookshelf is upstairs in my office. What's your favorite, uh, before um, we rotate in the fans' questions, what's your favorite art of book? Do you have one that sticks out? Art of? Yeah. Got one that we should uh, definitely pick up. Uh, well, okay. Um, well, I'll just, 
I don't know how accurate this is, but it's the first things that pop into my mind. There is this one book. Is it here? Oh, yeah. So this came out when I was in college. And it opened up my world. Uh, are you familiar with this one? No. It's called Art of The Art of Animation, or just Art of Animation. Disney's Art, Disney's Art of Animation, from Mickey Mouse to Beauty and the Beast. And not only does it have one of these, I can't remember what the term is, the covers that move, that... Lenticular. Um, oh, see, I must have Xeroxed this and had it hung up. Oh, but, shit. like, this is a page from this book, I think. Mm-hmm. And, like, this was... There's drawings in here from Aladdin. Oh, and then, actually, the making of Aladdin. That's upstairs, because it's a how-to-draw book. Oh, that's an expensive um, yeah, no, I got I I found a copy for eight dollars like ten years ago, and I got that. So I went at work and went at home. Where is that here? Do I have that? Oh, here it is the lad here. It is. This is like, but like to see actual animation drawings like this, mm-hmm. um, or or design, you know, like it it opened up, it just opened up my world on, on drawing and and filmmaking, animate animated filmmaking and. Then this, then this as well. The 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 making of Aladdin, like it just basically told you how to do it. All these yeah. animation drawings in there, so these have a special place in my heart. I don't look at them very often anymore, mostly because uh, it's burned into my brain everything in these books. Um, and then, uh, I mean, there's always the illusion of life, but um, oh, yeah. uh. I'd say the Tarzan, the Tarzan Chronicles, it's called, because it really celebrated drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by the time they made it, the making of this movie, animated movies, books were kind of cliche at that point. But um, it just celebrated drawing in such a way that uh, it really you know, uh, hit me, hit me well. But yeah, though, so these three. I still got some other coffee table books. I got a, I got a, I had this big old nine old men book that I still haven't finished reading. Is that the one they drew as they pleased. Um, no, it's it's the first one, but that one's really great too. That's upstairs. This one, this one came out before that one. When you're talking oh, about, it has John a lot of drawings. Yeah, John came out ta- that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't stand up on here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I would say those. I mean, the illusion of life is fantastic. Um, but it's 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 almost like it, it it's almost like you know I don't want to say the Bible, but it's just um. Well, it's definitely the Bible. That's what everybody refers to it as. Yeah, I mean, it was historically it's the most important animation book about animation ever Mm. because it basically said this is how we did it no one did it before us this is why we did it this is our thinking the fundamentals the fun the fundamentals it's all the 12 principles of animation stuff like that um but yeah we'll we'll talk about other books uh at our next venture and then uh so before we rotate into the fans' questions, there is you already answered that one with those books right there, but you get four people on your Mount Rushmore plus one honorable mention. Who's on Josh's Mount Rushmore? People or thing? People or thing? It could be anything that's influenced you okay. in your entire career. 
people, places, food, music? Well, dang, it sort of changed over the years. At one time, Billy Joel would have been on there, but I would say Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Aladdin. See, it's all, it's going to all be movies. These are the things that oh, sort that's of, perfectly fine. The filter this, of my world. Um, yeah, this is the thing that's influenced you in your career. You know, kind of influenced me in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Aladdin, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, classics. You know, I'm going to say this. I don't know if I would say this every time. But I'm going to say The Incredibles. Oh, that's such a perfect movie, too. They did. The... I know I didn't say Iron Giant, but Iron Giant's one of the best things ever. Mm-hmm. But in its essence, it wasn't doing anything new. It did the new thing where it t- took CG and made it look too, you know, stuff. But like, but the, but the, incre- what the Incredibles did, because I also... I love many CG projects, but I also have a love hate with that. Was like they're also the reason why the thing I love most in the world has gone has yeah. mostly gone away. Um, but The Incredibles, what Brad Bird did, he showed us what we can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, he started with this, but like he showed us this is what can be being. This is what can be. Blah. This is what can. I'm going to say this wrong. E- edit this. Um, this is what can be being done. So how can I yeah. say that? This is what can be done. Yeah. Okay. So he. T- so with the. So what Brad Bird did with the Incredibles is he basically said, "This is what can be done. We can do this. This." adult vibe for a childlike story and the scope of it you know the james bond this you know the the cinema scope and, and the and the regular scope literally of uh, of what he did in that movie so those are the things i i kind of hold on to aladdin in a way is a, is a version of raiders of the lost ark but the comedy and the heart that was put in that, and the beautiful animation, how much they pushed it. And Raiders of the Lost Ark's a perfect movie. Um, nothing else. That's my favorite of all time. That heavily influences like my whole view on whatever my eyes lay lay themselves upon. Um, and then Roger Rabbit. Uh, I, have a, I don't know if we have time, but I have an interesting story about when I first was introduced to Roger Rabbit. But that that blew my mind back then. And then just that, and then his whole thing about. All I want to do is make people laugh. <laughs> and because that's all I wanted to do is make people laugh and make people, you know, feel good and stuff. So, and do it through my work and my drawing. And plus, the fact that it was this, some would say over animated. I don't necessarily say that, but like this technological wonder between how they did it and then the actual animation that was done and the style. And, you know, it was still hearkening back to an age that half of the adult population weren't even alive to even experience. Um, but it, you know, it, it definitely harkened back to things that I experienced. So um, yeah, 
those are those. That's my Mount Rushmore. Thank you for asking me that question. I, I'm surprised that that's one of my answers. Oh man, I, I enjoyed them. Uh, so we're gonna rotate into. Like I said, I, I did this the last couple times where I uh, I didn't write any fans' questions down, but I, I wrote some ones that I enjoyed asking that I thought would be a lot of fun. Um, this one's fun. Uh, nobody's answered it yet because they didn't want to offend anybody, but I think it would be <laughs> fun. So we'll throw the caveat on there. They could be dead or alive. Um, if you okay. were to start an animation studio and you needed a writer, a director, an animator, and a voice actor, who would you pick out to start your animation studio? A writer? Um, I mean, I'm not familiar with all, you know, all the writers stuff like that but uh an animation studio writer you know what? i picked chuck austin i worked with chuck on randy cunningham we became good friends and he was the one that w was uh telling me about that greg daniels stuff while he was on king of the hill yeah. we learned about the story and, and he me and chuck although we have a real disagreement about the captain america movie i'll just say that i don't because i love the first captain america movie mm -hmm. but we'll just leave it at that but uh aside from that discrepancy with with my friend um i love talking story with him because you know with a writer that's why it's called that's why you got a writer's room because you got a number of different perspectives coming in and they make jokes better and this person this person got a bagel this morning and that made him think of this and that and the other yeah so it's not like one writer does that um but I know my buddy Chuck, he knows story, man. Mm. And and you can have I watched this movie the other day. I don't want to say what it was. People I was there's this one person in it, and I was like, I always like her movie. She's really great. It's actually very funny, but it was just like, really? And I I just kind of kept saying that. I'm like, really? And then it ended, and I was like, I kind of wish I didn't watch that. It was a comedy, so I wasn't rhyme with. I What's wasn't rhyme with. I was, no, uh, I'll tell you later. Um, but um, uh, so because so story is what is the skeleton that everything hangs on. Mm -hmm. Um, so writer. So give me the categories again. You had a oh. uh, writer, a director, an animator, and a voice actor. A director, with me. All right, then. <laughs> so an animator and a voice actor. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna say that. I'm not gonna say that. I'm joking. Um, well, you can throw yourself in there. This is your list. Gosh, I mean, I start an animation studio. I Man, could say Brad Bird's a director and stuff like that, but like that's, uh, um, I don't know. Oh, well, I was gonna say uh, one of my favorite directors who's sort of under the most of the radars is doug lyman mm -hmm. uh you know who directed swingers and the born identity amongst many other things the edge of tomorrow but yeah, i mean we're talking an, an, anime what's that born identity is such a fantastic oh, yeah. movie him fucking up those dudes with a big pen <laughs> christ man so great i love edge of tomorrow i think is fantastic if you, have, if you watch any of the behind the scenes or listen to him talk about how that movie was made it was made in a way that you would think this is not a way to make a movie. Yeah. But, uh, but, um, so animation director, you know, gosh, I mean, if I was to make the studio, it would be people that, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, if I'm to do that now, I'm going to, I'm going to bring my crew, mm -hmm. you know, um, 
you know, actually, you know what? Jim Schumann, my buddy Jim Schumann, if I was to create a studio and I needed a director, it would be Jim. Um, so who else? Animators? You got an um, animator? Nick Raniere. <laughs> Nick, Nick Raniere, man. I was wondering if, if you were going to give the nod to Nick or Sam. Uh, yeah, I, I would say, like, his drawing sensibility out of all i mean i you know i'm a huge fan of all those guys andres deja will finn and you know um you know obviously glenn Keane, mark hen james baxter oh you know what i would say james baxter he's probably the one artist slash animator that i'm intimidated by yeah uh he's like I, I actually interviewed him once at DreamWorks. There was a lunchtime interview. Uh, lunchtime. They sometimes they did little things at lunchtime for people who wanted to come in. He was in town, and and they asked him to be if he would be interviewed. And since he was the animation director or whatever on uh, on Spirit, and I was on Spirit show, uh, they asked uh, they asked me to do it. Um, so I interviewed him. And sweetest guy, and he actually even came and and took a, took an hour to uh, conference uh, meet with us about drawing horses, all the, a lot of the things that he learned. He's like, of course, he was so I don't know. I mean, what you guys probably know some of this stuff. I mean, well, just tell us, man. Like, like all the little things he found out. Um, and he told us some great things uh, about that. But um, he's just, it's. I don't even want to say it's savant-like how good he is. It's, it's like he was blessed with magic. Yeah. And like it almost is just like, I can't even aspire to be as good as him. So, but um, uh, I don't think I'll ever be as good as Nick Ranieri either, but his sensibility of the way he draws faces and characters and stuff is very similar to my own. So I feel like I have uh, uh, an affinity for that. And then the last one, a voice actor. Kevin Michael Richardson, probably. He's oh, so man, versatile. Man. Yeah, he's so good. He was, he was on Randy Cunningham. And I went to an, I went to a lot of records for that. And uh, and I hear his voice all the time everywhere, everywhere else. So, like, you know, he's not necessarily, he doesn't do many starring character voices. But, like, you could just have him do everyone else mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a big part of cow and chicken for sure as long as many other shows that were just a part of my childhood um so this next one i have fun with this one uh you plus five animation dinner guest who's invited and what are you bringing or no not what are you bringing what are you eating so what are you going to serve five animation guests dead or alive and who are those guests oh geez well this is sort of the same thing Kind of, but you got to um, food into it. Well, I'm, okay. Well, Brad Bird, uh, yeah. Nick Ranieri. And this is for a night um, of stimulating conversation, too. So that Yeah, yeah, a- yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to go with the – I'm just going to go with the All-Stars. Eric Goldberg. You, you get Brad Bird and Eric Goldberg in a room talking about animation, you're not going to hear – the the night will never end. Everybody's like this. Yeah, well, it's just that both of those guys are like just like love talking about what they do. Um, how many people do I have left? Yeah, two left. Two left. Um, 
Live or dead? Yep, live or dead. Frank and Ollie. Man, that's going to be a great. What do you serve? <laughs> what, what are you serving, or what, what do you? Eat? Yeah, pizza. Man, <laughs> got to be pizza. Absolutely, man. Because you got you know it's going to be picking up, putting it down, picking it up, putting yeah. it down. You can't knife and fork that conversation. Yeah. So those uh, uh, like, like I don't know how talkative Nick Ranieri is. From what I know of him, he's probably not. But oh no, he can go. He's he's does he? he? Oh, okay. Yeah, I had him I'll have on. to watch he, your episode. Yeah, he was he was phenomenal. He he doesn't live too far from here. He lives out in Orlando. He's got, oh, he he moved back to uh, Florida. Yeah. Um, he had I haven't looked at it for quite a long time because I'm not on Facebook as much. But he has a great Nick Ranieri animator Facebook page. Yes, that's like. And he tells stories and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, like, I used to visit that page, like, every day. He worked on Roger Rabbit. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so those, I would just sit back. I wouldn't say anything. I mean, obviously, anyone listening to this now, and I was like, man, this guy, Josh, he would not stop talking. <laughs> but, like, um, like I, would, I wouldn't say anything. I would just listen to those five guys talk about it all. That'd be great. Absolutely, man. That that'd be uh that'd be interesting to see. Uh if you could go back in time to be a fly on the wall for the creation of any cartoon character, who would it be and why? Gosh. It's we it's weird because um I feel like I have been a fly on the wall with because you we have seen so much behind the scenes footage of how they came up with the beast mm-hmm. and the genie, you know. Um uh but the creation of a character it usually happens over time. Um you know what? One of my, it's funny because I have a huge uh, collectible collection of uh, Stitch uh, mm-hmm. collectibles, and he's one of my favorites. Like that movie has a real special place in my heart because I, I got a vol, I got some volatility inside me that 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 movie I identify with quite quite well, and it's just some great, you know, family and love um, um, uh, issues dealt with in that, but like the. The catharsis that that character goes through I, it's like uh, i want to see where chris sanders like how like the seed of that and how this silly idea of an alien a little blue alien who looks like you know what what he looks like um and rex wreaks havoc actually becomes a very endearing character Mm-hmm. who teaches lessons you know back and like such such growth that doesn't feel sudden it's very earned um He's off but for sure. this weird little character like the reason that was, i think lilo and stitch was so good and i don't think anyone who has talked about this is they did it in florida mostly from what i understand yep. I, I could be wrong about this maybe and it was sort of just happening under the radar they were working on some other big movie at the time i can't remember which one it was so they weren't really paying attention to that so there were not, there weren't a lot of, maybe there weren't a lot of notes and they had a lot of free reign and they didn't have to do a lot of reanim, reanimate a lot of scenes. So like what was animated came out of a lot of creativity. It's one of the most beautifully animated movies. The colors are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm colorblind and I can even tell. Um, and 
Stitch is just one of my favorite characters um, because he's all emotion. But, but I don't, don't want to say that either because there's a lot of things. But but um, so um, I have another point. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. The uh, the thing I got from that one is you got to check out three of my episodes: Chris Sanders, Nick Ranieri, and Sandra Cluzo. Okay, very good. Yeah, yeah he yeah. goes he goes into detail about um about Stitch's character arc, how he got started, where that, oh, great. that whole Stitch character came from. It, it was just a voice he would do whenever he would call somebody on the phone when he was in the yeah, studio and yeah. stuff like that's how that does the genesis of that one. Um, so kind of like that Howie Mandel voice that he used to do. It was the same thing with Brad Bird and Edna from The Incredibles. Brad Bird did right. did, did Fantastic Four better than the Fantastic Four has ever or and you know up until this point will ever do the fantastic yeah, four yeah. um yeah, it's yeah. a phenomenal movie. we just watched that one like i get like i said i got an 18 month old i've watched 101 dalmatians in the last three days seven times which i'm not mad at this that's a great that is, that's a good one it is it is like i've i've i wish there was a few i got to talk to floyd norman um last year sadly i i, I talked to him for two hours sadly uh we could only release 30 minutes of it because there was a glitch in the upload so Half, not over half of the uh the interview got destroyed um and we tried to get it back but it just it was unwatchable it was unlist you know unlistenable so uh, we only got like the first 30 minutes but that first 30 minutes was talking about my favorite disney movie of all time which is the jungle book so he okay. went into detail and then like right as he was like hitting to like the meat of it it fucking cuts out and it sucks because we went super deep and it was just very candid, very, he was very open. Um, but he, we talk 101 Dalmatians and <clears throat> that movie, like I know Walt hated it for the longest time. It gave Ken Anderson a fucking heart attack. Right. So, you know, Ken Anderson being the art director, ladies and gentlemen, for, for that one. Um, you know, when that movie comes out, Walt hates it, hates the style, hates the European push. You know, um, there was a lot of like uh, progressive modernism going on at that time when it came to art. So Walt didn't like it. The first thing he said is like, you fucking ruined me. This is this is horrible. And then as it grew and Floyd talked about this as, you know, the couple of years passed by before, you know, Walt had passed away before Jungle Book dropped. You know, he had had this turn of heart and said how endearing that movie was. But there's a scene in particular, and I pointed out every single time. There's two scenes in particular in 101 Dalmatians. Uh, one of them is just the opening credits where Pongo is narrating how Roger is the, the bachelor, and then he's trying to find a suitable mate. And it's that scene where Pongo's looking down at the magazines, and he's seeing, like, is chivalry dead or something chivalry along those lines? And it's the lady in the, in the, in the bathing suit. And then he looks up and then he looks so disgusted and so mad for just a split second just that whole he has an old man facial expression on his face that i find something so endearing to that character because he goes from this lackadaisical dog to something that's real right there and then he goes back to that oh it's a cartoon but that facial feature he has but the one particular scene that i absolutely love that i pause it every single time it's when they're in the the mansion with Horace and Jasper and Sergeant Tibbs is already there and the entire background goes red. So you're already seeing the anger, the anger emotion from Roger, uh, from Jasper and from um, Horace. Right. And then Sergeant Tibbs, the cat is going like this to all of the puppies behind him. So you've got this beautifully dark red background. You're reading the room. Essentially, you're seeing the anger from Jasper as he's getting ready to hit with the crowbar. And then all of the fear in the cat and in the puppies. I pause it because it's 
beautiful. The colors, the contrast in the colors, the art style they chose, the posing, just everything about that is so perfect. And when I say I've watched it seven times, no bullshit, from start to finish seven times in the last couple of days, and I'm not mad at it. It's a beautiful movie. It's a perfect movie. It keeps growing me every time I watch it. It's, at this point, there's two things that I can probably remember or probably recite from start to finish where the wild things are and 101 Dalmatians. And both of them are because Cooper, that's his favorite book and that's his favorite movie. And anytime he gets up, the first thing he points, he's like dogs, dogs, dogs. Right. So I've really enjoyed watching that movie. So just those two scenes. I don't know how we fucking got into 101 Dalmatians, um, but it's just a fucking beautiful movie. Yeah, I, it's um, I loved that since I was a kid. I'm a big dog guy too, even though now I have cats. But yeah. um, I, so I came across it somewhat recently. Um, it might have been when I was at the vet. They were playing it on the big TV. I can't quite recall. But like one thing that I noticed, uh, which I've always known, but like animation wise, is how it takes its time. Mm-hmm. There are so many slow, quiet acting scenes where characters aren't moving real snappily and stuff. And there's some raw, I mean, of course we've all seen the pencil test of Roger juggling his, almost dropping his pipe and things like that. And just with the dancing and it's just so meticulous. They sit on characters, the characters move slowly. They shift subtly, all these very difficult things to, to animate, you know, hand drawn. And it's just, and the designs are so exaggerated to see such exaggerated um, characters move so realistically. Um, and then, of course, cartoonally when necessary. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's all the per- anthropomorphic personality. They put dogs and the style's great. Um, it's definitely, you know, it, it, the pace of it takes some getting used to when you watch it now. Mm-hmm. coming from where we are coming from but um that still like the the, the again it, it, it and, and because of the xerox technique that they were using to do the cleanup uh, onto the the cells it embraces the fact that it's a drawing yeah um now don't get me wrong there are other movies like cats don't dance is a hugely un- underrated under the radar movie that is if you like the movie Singing in the Rain, you'll flip and love, you know, Cats Don't Dance if you like animation. But that is probably the most beautifully cleaned up animated film ever. Um, I, I had a couple of friends work on that. Um, uh, Chris Hubbard and Matthew Schofield, Daisy Schofield. I'm sure, I think I know some other people too, although she wasn't Daisy Schofield then. Um, so uh, they they would show me some drawings they'd bring home and how they got that beautiful line work. And Hercules is a great cleaned up movie, beautiful beautiful line work. One of the best soundtracks um, too. Yeah, it really is. I like Hercules. It's not a great movie, but it's beautifully animated. And the music is so good. I just wish it was a little bit better. Do you know who I I, I they're supposedly making a live action? um hercules like they're doing with most of their 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 live action yeah. movies um if that goes i've got the perfect perfect lineup for the muses i want destiny's child back so i need destiny's child to reunite <laughs> i want lizzo and i want yep. the queen it's not beyonce it is mary j blige i absolutely love mary j blige i think that five for the muses rob Iger, you can have that one for free bob yeah. take this one please 
cast those five ladies as the muses and Hercules. I would love to see it. Me, um, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the song. And uh, we'll kind of end it with this one. But Meg has the best song on that entire soundtrack. There's a couple things like, like I said, uh, Cooper, absolutely, the, the 101 Dalmatians is a movie. He absolutely loves Encanto too. It's the, something about the colors. It's something about the songs. There's just, he loves that. The, um, the, fuck, the surface pressure song, best song on the entire soundtrack for Encanto. And then it's just, he loves all of that shit. So getting to, like I said, just getting to see it. Once you start having kids and you get to see them, you know, mm-hmm. experience it for the first time. Like it's funny because uh, we sit down and eat and he points over to where Alexa is because he knows we have to say Alexa play Disney favorites or Alexa play surface pressure. So when he, when he says, when he hears us say Alexa play surface pressure, like he's looking at it and then he looks back really. So he, he stoops his little shoulders and he starts smiling really, really big. And then this is how he dances. So whenever it goes, he's doing it with the, with his hands for the, for the drum solo. So yeah, like I said, it's really fun getting to watch that. But like I said, Bob, we need those five ladies for the music. Yeah, you know, so what you're talking about with watching kids, you know, I don't have children, but, um, you know, and I, I used to go to Disneyland at least once a month, if not more. Um, but a while back, there was um, the World of Color at California Adventure, and part of that show was Frozen. Um, it was probably about a year after the movie came out, I don't know. And, of course, Let It Go was one oh, of yeah. the songs that was that was going. And there's this little girl in front. There's this guy in front of me with his little girl on his shoulders. And she is belting out, let it go. Like there is no tomorrow. And it was the sweetest thing. And I was, you know, I do what I do for me. Mm -hmm. I like doing it. I'm my own demographic and I enjoy the work. But I also feel an inherent calling to connect with the world through my work you know like i learned a lot of things well you know from television and cartoons when i was a kid and stuff like that like how to deal with stuff and i used to say if some kid in you know minnesota is watching spirit and figure and you know it has some realization because it's something that i or we did that's really special and you know i'm sitting here because you know probably because you know it all started for me on when a, on a rainy day we watched dumbo in the clubhouse at camp yeah. you know and it, it just always s- stuck with me and stuff so like to see to do something to plant seeds in others mm-hmm. for that will help them grow into be in, into being what they are going to be in life whether it's just a hobbyist like yourself or or an actual um uh, craftsman yeah. um to to not having children in in a way has like almost lit a fire in under my butt to 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 do those things. So like to work on a show that nobody watches is just like, well then what's the point? Like, well the point is you get to go to work and draw. I'm like, nah, for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I do that is great. And if I grew up, you know, under harsh harsher if I had a harsher life growing up, I may just appreciate the fact I'm breathing. Yeah. But I didn't. And I need the the um, e- equation or the formula of enjoying what I do greatly and having it connect with others. Like, especially when you produce art, it's like producing art, but you turn off the lights. Like, what's Absolutely. the point? You know, you, people need to see it, and you want to connect with it. You want people, you know. So, um, 
but yeah, so seeing Disneyland through the eyes of children and stuff like that, and um, you know, uh, movies to a certain extent. When we'd go to the movie theater and there were kids there, like, okay, what is the ratio? How many kids are actually here? You know, one good thing about living in Los Angeles when you go to see um, animated movies is there's a lot of, you know, adults there who work yeah. in the business and want to see it anyway. Um, you'll have like a, a half, you know, back in the day, a Disney movie comes out, you go see the 8, 8.30 p.m. show of it, and it's it's half full with adults. Yeah. <laughs> Man, what a time. And there's no better way to end that than than that. Like I said, Josh, can't wait to have you back on. Uh, oh, I love it. Folks want to find you on the old social medias. They want to see what Josh is up to. Where can they find you? Uh, JoshuaTabak.com. Go there and it just brings you to my hub page. Uh, there's a link link tree type of page before there was a link tree. But you could also, like, the, I, the, one, the one thing I'm the most active on is Instagram. Um, so that's Josh TBCK at Josh TBCK. Beautiful. Um, and all those but, links for the website and your Instagram yeah. <laughs> will be in the links below. Great. Yeah. So if you just go to my Instagram, I think I got my website up there, you know, at the top of the profile, you just click it. I always tell people like new people in the industry who are trying to break in stuff like that. It's like, you want to be easy to find. Don't come up with some. You know, when people come up with real interesting names for their email or their website, I was just like, I don't know who that is. I don't know what that means. That thing, you know, like, you know, love bug, you know, love bug 2687. I'm not going to know that that's you. I'm going to see your name on a resume and I'm going to want to see who John Schmo is. So I'm going to look up John Schmo. And if I can't find johnschmo.com, I guess you're not getting the job. Ladies and gentlemen, there's been a lot of knowledge that's been dropped on this one, but the most important piece of knowledge that Josh has dropped, don't pick up the handle, Ladybug8786. It's not, it, it doesn't work for anybody. But nonetheless, man, he's been Josh. I've been enjoying this. It's been the What's In My Head podcast, and this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget, hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and let me know what you think about this last show. I'll see you next week.